What's up, boys and girls? Welcome to another episode of Walk on Wisdom, where I answer your questions. So if you have questions, send them in to podcast at michaelchandler.com because we've been getting a lot of great ones. Um, some of you guys have been diligent about sending sending them in often and uh, getting your questions answered more than once, which um, right now, as we continue to build this thing and ramp this thing up, um, is an awesome opportunity to get your questions answered. So send them in to podcast at michaelchandler.com. Disclaimer, I am by no means an expert at anything, really. I'm just a guy who's been around the block a couple times. I've had 36 years on this earth. Um, I've felt the highest of highs and I've felt the lowest of lows and been around the world um, doing this whole mixed martial arts thing and training at a, at a high level thing. And I uh, really appreciate you guys taking an interest into my um, answers to your questions. So let's get right into it. The first one is from Parker. Hey, Mike, I hope you're doing well. I want to start off by saying thank you so much for your response to my last question about pride and, e pride and ego. Everything you touched on was what I hoped to hear, and I had some great takeaways, including things that, I'm all, that I already subscribe to. Thanks for the cool name shout out as well. My question for you today is about journaling. My grandfather started with shared with me that he's been journaling day to day for more than 20 years. He has begun planting the seed in my head about possibly starting to journal myself. I'm wondering what journaling does for you personally, how often you do it, and what is the matter you try to focus on when you journal? Thanks. I'll see you at the top. Great question, Parker, because I do truly believe um, that journaling and writing things down or making lists, gratitude journals, just putting pen to paper, putting thoughts on paper, going from thought to your fingertips on a piece of paper, or I have a remarkable tablet, which is a, um, it's an electronic, electronic tablet. Um, uh, I think I have like almost 200 pages of a journal inside of that electronic tablet. Um, but if you want to use paper, you want to use journals, uh, or a regular paper journal, the act of going from thought to words on paper does something special, not just, not just for the brain, not just for you personally and, and intrinsically, but just in life in general, whether you call it God's grace, uh, whether you call it God's plan, whether you call it the universe, there's something about the act of putting things on paper that automatically unlocks it automatically sets the wheels in motion. Um, whether it's something bad that you're struggling with, something fearful, something painful, something that, that is traumatic, it starts to unlock it, starts to take the weight off of it, starts to take the emphasis off of it. It starts to make it feel less heavy because what do we say? What is the, the first rule of Alcoholics Anonymous? What is the first rule of somebody who needs to make a change? The first thing that you have to do is admit that you have a problem or admit that you need help, admit that you need God's grace, admit that you need a helping hand. And there's something about the act of writing something down, whether it be good or bad, it starts to unlock it. Not just from a, a brain physiological standpoint, but from a confident expectancy. I'm dealing with this, but I believe it's going to get better. You start to unlock it. I want to accomplish this. I want to see this in my life. You start to unlock it. You're starting to take ground between you and your goal, you and what you want to become, or you and who you don't want to be anymore, you and that negative thing that you don't want to have happen in your life. So um, I've been waking up 
<clears throat> every morning, um, not every morning, because um, I think uh, I think people who speak in complete black and white, it always happens, um, are somewhat lying to themselves. Um, there was actually two days ago, not today. Not this morning, but yesterday morning, I actually did not wake up at 545 because I was up till one in the morning, could not fall asleep. Um, so admittedly, I slept in. So I'm going to show myself the grace and say, hey, Michael, you're still a disciplined human being. You just weren't as disciplined on January 23rd as you would have liked to have been. But I like to make it a common practice that I wake up before my family. So right now, uh, if they use, those of you who don't know, I have a wife, Bree, and I have my two sons. They wake up around six. 15, 6.30-ish. Um, so I like to get up a little bit early. I take control of my day by me making my coffee, me writing in my journal, me reading my devotionals, because um, I have two of them right now, and me spending time in visualization, meditation, prayer, and, and seeing what I'm going to do because I am in charge of my day. And a lot of that has to do with me journaling. Um, sometimes it's just a gratitude list. Sometimes it's, I am so thankful for, and I'm talking to God. Sometimes I'm talking to the future Michael. Sometimes I'm talking to the past Michael. Sometimes I'm just writing down somewhat random things. And it could go from, um, I think that's one of the things is, is similar to what we, similar to when we say being led by the spirit or being led by, um, being led by something other than just your, your cognition, just your thoughts. Let let the paper just hit the pen or let the, let the pen just hit the paper. See what comes out. It might start with, I am so thankful for this, that, and the other thing. And then I start talking about my wife. Then I start talking about my career. Then I start talking about my fears. Then I start talking about this bad thing that happened to me that I had to forgive somebody for, had to forgive the, the circumstances for. And it just kind of, the funny thing is, I think if you read, if you read my journals, um, they would be very sporadic and all over the place. Um, I also just got something called the daily stoic, uh, by Ryan holiday, <clears throat> excuse me, the daily stoic. So it's got a bunch of, it's a, it's a stoic, a stoic reading devotional. So it's 366 meditations of, um, the stoics, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, um, a lot of the other ones. And so, um, they, they were talking about Marcus Aurelius's journal and his journal, his, I think it was called the Marcus Aurelius meditations or something like that. And they were published. And I, my first thought was, man, if my journal was published, uh, number one, I would never want that to be because it's personal. But second of all, it's just all over the place. So I, I would say don't have a, your question was, um, what matter do you try to focus on? I'm not really focusing on anything aside from gratitude. Gratitude, gratitude is the one constant in every single one of my journaling sessions in the morning. I want to it ha, want to single out and and write down thank you for this. I am grateful for that. I am so happy and grateful that this has happened. You know, three, five different things in my life because I do truly believe if you start your day with gratitude, it's almost impossible to not start your day on the right foot. Start your day with gratitude, end your day with gratitude. As my friend David Meltzer says, start your day with thank you and end your day with thank you. And if you start doing that and make it habitual, your days will be more joyful, more peaceful, and you will ultimately get more out of them. Um, so Parker, I hope that answers your question. I think the biggest piece of advice I could say is number one, just be proud of yourself for the discipline 
of trying to get better and journaling every day. I think your grandfather who had been journaling for 20 years was onto something. I do think just like we say, leaders are readers. I do think people that journal, people that write things down, people that get their thoughts and feelings onto paper ultimately will be more happy, more joyful, more peaceful, and ultimately probably a little bit more organized and more successful. So hope that helps Barker. <clears throat> this one's from Michael. Good morning, Mr. Chandler. Big fan of you regarding affirm uh big fan of you regarding affirmation as well as in sport. One question I have for you, sir, is outside or inside of your combat sports career, what was the most humbling or life-altering experience you had to endure? And how do you believe it progress it progressed your positive mindset as an individual? Keep crushing and pushing positivity. I'll see you at the top. Signed another short another short Mike who is following in the in the foot steps both professionally and as a human being. One final question. I am a 22 year old, four foot 11 individual. How can I get over the insecurities of fighting at this height and, or how may, how may I more readily use it to my advantage? Thank you. Um, so number one, Michael, thank you for the, um, thank you for the compliments. Um, so what was the one most humbling and life altering experience I had that, that progressed my positive mindset. Um, I think the biggest wake up call that I had was when I went 688 days without winning a fight. So I know it sounds like just a number. It sounds like, Oh, he went a little bit, little bit of time, but in, in the career of mixed martial arts, if you guys see where I am today, <clears throat> You see the fights that I've had, uh, my world ranking in the UFC right now, ranked number five in the world. A couple of years ago, I went 688 days without winning a fight. That is almost two years without winning a fight. That's just about as close to a career death sentence as you could possibly find or see. Um, before that, I was a world champion a, a year before... I guess. No, actually I, I lost the title and that started my 688 day streak. So lose the world title, lose or lose the world title, lose three consecutive fights, 688 days without winning a fight. That was the most trying time in my professional career. But I also look back on that, Michael. I also look back on that fighter. I also look back on that husband at the time. I look back at that individual, that human being, because I needed to go through something like that to realize that the battle between my ears is the most important battle that I will ever fight in my entire life. I'm going to fight a lot of big name opponents, bright lights, big platforms, world rankings on the line, money on the line, career on the line. I fight battles every single day um, when it comes to business, when it comes to relationships, being a father, being a husband, being all these different things. And every single one of those things always comes back to what's going on inside of here. Because if everything is good inside of here and I'm winning this battle and I have a good positive self-concept, self-image, I'm immediately going to treat myself better. I'm immediately going to be more successful in my business, more successful in my relationship with my wife, more worthy as a father, more worthy as a, um, as a friend, more worthy as an entrepreneur. So that 688 days when I lost three fights in a row, it gave me the opportunity and gave me the wake up call to realize that I was the hardest worker in the gym. I did all the reps. Coaches told me to run through that brick wall. I would run through the brick wall. 
tell me to run five miles, I'd run six. They would tell me to show up at six, I'd be there at 5.30 with my shoes on. And not a lot of guys were doing that. But what I realized was I was the hardest worker in the room, yet all I was doing was building up a bigger, faster, stronger, more dangerous, subpar version of the man that God created me to be because I wasn't focused on my mindset. I wasn't focused on building up my mind and my self-image enough to make sure that I could find consistent consent, consistent success because a man or a woman will never be able to consistently perform in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that they see themselves. All the hard work doesn't matter. Accolades that you accrue, wins that you get every now and then, they don't matter because eventually you will, you will fall flat on your face if you are not focused on your mindset. So instead of having to have a life-altering, almost career-altering, or an actual career-altering 688 days without winning a fight or something bad like that happening to you, make sure you focus on standing guard at the gate of your mind every single day. Just as we talked about with Parker's question, journaling every day, get in your devotional every day, starting your day with gratitude, watching things on the people that you know, love, and trust, or admire, or want to be like, ingesting those things, making a list of all the ways that you can get better, all the ways where you know you can become more happier, healthier, and harder to kill. And similar to you, Michael, as you said, you're four foot 11. Um, I was a small guy growing up. I always say I was a small guy from a small town who was taught to do small things. Um, so that insecurity was real. That fear or the, I guess the, the, the not adding up to people's to other people's expectations. You walk into a room, feel like you're the smallest guy in the room. You walk into the room, feel like you're the most insignificant guy in the room. You walk into the locker room, you're the only guy doesn't have hair under your armpits. You know, I tell the story, I didn't have hair under my armpits until I was like 18 years old. You know, I'm going into college, I barely even had hair under my armpits. And that's not something that I'm embarrassed about. It's just the way God made me. Some of us are late bloomers, you know? Um, quite frankly, if we really sat down with all the people that I walked in the locker room with and were like, hey, look at the 36-year-old Michael. He's got hair in his armpits now. I think he's doing pretty darn good. Did it matter that he had hair in his armpits when he was 18? But this was a point of insecurity for me. This was a place of insecurity for me. So it's no wonder that I struggle with self-image still to this day. Old habits die hard and the enemy is always on attack and the enemy knows me so well, he knows exactly where to jab at me. He knows exactly where to sprinkle in a little doubt. He knows exactly where to put footholds and stumbling blocks right in our path. As you guys have heard me say <clears throat> before, it doesn't matter what you've accomplished, the enemy is always on attack. And it's only a matter of time before, if you don't stay built up enough for long enough, that he will start to win the war a little bit. And you can fall back into um, the pits where you're not going to be performing or acting in line with who you want to be. So as far as being 22 years old and four foot 11, being a shorter, a shorter guy, get in, watch Mike, get in, watch, get inside, watch Mike Tyson. That's what he always did. He always fought taller guys. So um, 
Thank you, Michael, for that. Next question is from Brock. Hey, Michael, as a person who has been in the sport for so many years, what have been some of your favorite moments and what about those specific times make them so special to you? Good question, Brock. Thank you. Um, I remember, you know, going back to the last question about the toughest time in my life. It was 688 days without winning a fight. Three, three fights in a row I lost. So, I mean, at that point, I basically even wondered, do I even know how to win anymore? Is winning a fight ever again in the cards for me? I just married the girl of my dreams. I stood at the altar and I looked her in the eyes and in my vows, I promised to love and serve and protect and take care of and provide for her to be steadfast and immovable. And here I am newly married and now I'm losing three fights in a row. That was not only insecure as a athlete, but the insecurity started creeping in as a husband, a new husband. Did you marry the wrong guy? Am I enough? <laughs> you know? So, um, so I remember that, that 688 day loss streak as a new husband and I had to fight Derek Campos in April. No, this is how crazy it was actually. I get the fight booked with Derek Campos in April as I'm finally trying to come back and win a fight because I hadn't won a fight in almost two years. And it's in St. Louis. Nine weeks, nine weeks before the fight, I, I had just been out in New York training with Ally Aquinta at Longo and Weidman MMA. I was training with Ally Aquinta. Something popped in my knee. Was kind of battling through it for a couple of weeks. <clears throat> I know I'm going to get a fight scheduled eventually, sometime soon in the summer. And uh, nine weeks before the fight, I end up having to get a meniscus surgery. So I go into surgery nine weeks before the fight, recover for about two weeks, and then I got about seven weeks to train for the fight. Possibly the biggest fight of my life because I'm coming back from a coming back from a, you know, a loss or I'm not coming back from anything. I'm still in a loss streak <laughs> at that point, <clears throat> still in a, uh, loss streak at that point. So, um, nine weeks before the surgery. So now, not only do I have the insecurity of, I haven't won a fight in almost two years. I'm coming back from a, uh, or I'm, I'm battling through a two week recovery, which is pretty easy. And I remember going out there, finish him in the first round, jumping up on the cage and I'm straddling the cage. And I've seen this video somewhere. It's on the internet somewhere on one of these highlights that people have put out there, but it's, I just, I like put my hands here and I like do this and I'm just like, <sighs> and it was probably the biggest sigh of relief I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, so I truly think even though it was beating Derek Campos, um, some of you guys might not know he, who he is. He was by no means the ever the number one guy in the world. It wasn't me beating, you know, one of the best guys or he was, it was a good fighter, but he wasn't, you know, one of the top guys in the world. But for me, that was one of the biggest moments of my entire career because I finally whew, ripped up that big old sign that I had stapled to my back that said, I'm a loser, you know? Um, 
So that was definitely my favorite, one of my favorite moments. My debut against Dan Hooker when I came into the UFC, I was pumped up. I was excited. I felt good. Everything felt like everything was going good. Uh, go out there, knock him out in the first round. And then the call out of Connor Poirier, Khabib, my first introduction to the UFC, which was actually to this day, it was yesterday, two years ago. So I've been signed with the organization for two years, two years. Um, so that debut was actually really great. So Hopefully, um, oh, that was Brock. So thank you, Brock. Um, so next one from Nick, how many tries to hit that balloon at 75 yards? Uh, good question, Nick. So for those of you that don't know, I went out to Oregon to hang out with Cameron Haynes for two days. If you don't know who Cameron Haynes is, look him up right now. He's one of the coolest human beings on the earth. One of the greatest human beings on the earth. He just started a podcast. I went out there, um, to lift weights, to run, and to shoot bows. Um, and lift, we did. Run, we did a lot. And we shot some bows. And uh, Cam hooked me up with a bow, got us got us all sighted in, cool little adjustable sight. And I hit this, uh, I hit this bighorn sheep target at 75 yards. And he goes, okay, cool. You're dialed in, man. I hit it like three times in a row. He's like, you're dialed in, man. Now I'm going to put this balloon out there. I'm like, balloon. And I knew what he, I knew exactly what he was talking about because if you, as a big a fan of Cam Haynes as I am, you, uh, you know what he's talking about. He puts a balloon out there and he'll do it from like 150 yards, 200 yards. Who knows this guy's he's nuts. Um, but for me at 75 yards, I'm like, there ain't no way I'm hitting this balloon. That was my inner dialogue. I'm like, yeah, cool, man. Let's do it. Let's do it, Cam. I can do it. And honestly, I can tell you this right now. It was three different balloons. It was four shots to pop three balloons. First one, nailed it. Camera wasn't rolling. <laughs> Second one, nailed it. First shot, camera wasn't rolling. And then Cam's like, dang, dude, you're crushing it. I will, let me get a video of this one. Michael Chandler, 75 yards. And he sets it up and then like, I missed by like, and it was windy too, so it was kind of moving, but it, that wasn't why. I missed I missed by quite a bit. You know, in, in archery terms, you know, two, three inches is quite a bit. Um, so I missed the first one. He's like, okay, let's redo that. And then he does, does the video. So technically that video that he shot was right after I missed. But since I hit the first balloon, first shot, second balloon, first shot, third balloon, second shot, I think it's pretty much like, hey, I shot him on the first round, the first one. So uh, good question. From Muhammad, what's your body measurements on a normal day? When are you going to fight in the octagon? Um, body measurements. Shoot, I don't even know. You know, um, as far as like biceps, legs, uh, calves, whatever they, whatever they measure these days. Um, I don't know what any of that stuff is. Quite frankly, I don't really care. Um, as long as, as long as the engine runs good and I, as long as I go out there and perform good, I don't care what size I am. Um, as far as body fat goes, I mean, obviously body measurements, uh, we'll talk about body fat. I am a little, uh, you know, have a little bit more fluff right now than when you guys see me on fight week. You know, when you see those pictures of me on fight week, or you see the pictures of me at weigh-ins, you see the, or even when you see the pictures of me in the octagon, um, of course I've been training for 12 weeks for a specific date. That means every single day was regimented, planned out diet, training, multiple times a day, recovery, sleeping perfectly. Then I come home, become father, become husband, become dad, become, you know, businessman, entrepreneur. We're over here doing this kind of stuff. Uh, we worked out this morning with Jeremy, but I'm not training, you know, twice a day like I normally am. So I'm probably sitting at 11% body fat, maybe 10, between 10 and 12% body fat would be my guess. 
<clears throat> Sorry, let me get a drink. So, I don't... all right. Next one from Alexander. I'm always inspired by your grit and ability to keep moving forward regardless of circumstances, walking on and continuing to improve and endure. In regards to a career or nine to five, at what point would you consider switching companies or versus making the best out of what you have? Wrestling with standing firm to showcase I am capable of continuing and succeeding versus shifting to something seem, seeming to be more enjoyable or less demanding. In short, when do you look for other options in life versus choosing to continue to grind on the current path? Any advice on your decision-making process would be appreciated. Recently down 80 pounds and greatly inspired by your work. Member of Walk On Fitness. My man, Alexander, dude, down 80 pounds. Um, man, congratulations, dude. And thank you for being a part of our Walk On Fitness community. Um, number one. The fact that you've lost 80 pounds, I don't, th I think we, I think we gloss this over because we, we do see so many people lose weight, you know, Hey, Joe is down this much or Hey, she lost that much weight. That is not easy. It is so hard to make a life change in which you lose 10 pounds, let alone 80 pounds, 80 pounds on a human body is a lot of weight. And you need to pat yourself on the back and you need to be very, very proud of yourself for that because that is not an easy task. So that's number one. But Alexander, since you have done that and you have shown that you're able to stick to, um, obviously, whether it be a diet or a training program, you're a member of Walk On Fitness doing some of our programs. And I can only imagine and I hope they are helping you out um, in your fitness journey. If you have that kind of discipline, if you have that kind of drive, it's no wonder why you're asking me. When do I make the shift? I have this nine to five. It's steady income. I get my paycheck. I like it somewhat enjoyable, but it's not my passion. I want to do something else. And these kind of questions are always so hard to answer unless it was me and Alexander sitting right here and we got to talk for two hours. I want to pick your brain. I want to know where your heart is at, where your mindset is at, what your passions are. But ultimately, number one, James 1 5, pray for wisdom. We don't spend enough time praying for wisdom. We don't spend enough time asking for wisdom. We don't send, we don't spend enough, spend enough time admitting that we need help. So that would be my number one thing. Whenever I have these big decisions going on, um, whenever I have big life altering decisions that I need to make, James one five has been my rock in that. And and all it is is that he who lacks wisdom pray for it and ask for it. And the Lord, your God, who gives it abundantly, it will be given to you. Something like that. So it's pretty cut and dry, pretty short and to the point. If you want wisdom, he's going to give it to you. And sometimes, sometimes wisdom is no answer for a certain season until you realize that the door that you wanted to be opened never opened or that it is continually locked or forever locked. Um, Standing firm, wrestling with standing firm to showcase that I am capable of continuing and succeeding versus shifting to something else that seems more enjoyable and less demanding. Number one, there's nothing wrong with trying to find something less demanding, but I do believe that continuing in a course of action and making sure that you, number one, continue to be a very good employee for your current 
job, your current um, company that you work for, that is paramount. Because if you can't be trusted to show up to work on time, do your job, show up with a smile on your face, um, then you're not going to be rewarded for doors opening for the next chapter of your life. I truly believe that. I believe that it's those that continue to just complain and then they start to slack off and then they start to cut corners and then they start to be not a great employee at their current job because they don't enjoy it. You're not supposed to enjoy it. You're not supposed to enjoy every single thing you do. You guys have heard me say that all the time and I like to say it whenever I'm working out. You don't have to enjoy everything you do in life, son. Alexander, you don't have to enjoy everything you do in life. Everyone out there listening, you don't have to enjoy everything you do in life, but... Doing something that you don't like to do with a smile on your face or doing it because you signed your name to a contract that says you would do that. When you sign that employment paper, when you sign that contract with your company, you said I would show up and I would do the right thing. <clears throat> and I know I'm not saying, Alexander, that you are, that you are doing that. But what I'm saying is continue to be a good employee. And, and actually, I would even go as far as to say, step your game up and become even better at your job currently, which will then get more eyeballs to look at you, which will then say, he is reliable, she is reliable, we really like her, and all of a sudden there could be a promotion that you don't even know, they don't even know exists. And then you're also in a position where you can be proud of yourself, proud of the work that you're doing, and also reinforcing your, in yourself that you can be trusted. Because I'm telling you right now, if we're sitting in, in this room full of 100 cubicles, and 70 of them are working hard and there's 30 of them scrolling through on their phone or they're playing a game on their phone or they're texting their girlfriend or boyfriend. Yeah, maybe that job doesn't mean a lot to them, but what are they also doing? They're also reinforcing in their mind that they can't be trusted. Boss, boss walks up, I'll put the phone down. The so boss can't trust them to get the job done. So if you can't trust yourself to get the job done, how are you ever going to be able to trust yourself when the bright lights come on, when the biggest moment of opportunity comes, whenever the opportunity to shift gears to something else seemingly, seeming to be more enjoyable and less demanding comes along? So all I would say, Alexander, is I don't know when that right answer is. I don't know when that transition time would be. Um, but I, all I do know is continue to do what you're doing and do it with a smile on your face. The old Jim Rohn quote, you guys hear me talk about it all the time. They'll pay you $4 to work at, work at McDonald's, but they'll pay you four and a quarter to take the trash out with a smile on your face. Show up every single day the best you possibly can. Be diligent with your work. And good things somehow always find a way to work themselves out. But best of luck, Alexander, um, seriously, in the future. And congratulations on losing 80 pounds. And thank you for being a part of our walk on fitness community. Next one <clears throat> from Daniel. I have seen you come home to your home roots and do some fishing with your family in between fights. I know you have ramped up your schedule in the last couple of years. At what point of your career Will you be able to get in a whitetail hunt back home? I have seen you with Cam Haynes, and that is awesome. P.S. I have a hunting lease very close to your home turf in High Ridge. Congrats on your journey and see you at the top. My man, Daniel, dude. Yes, I was just out with Cam Haynes, and it definitely got me, definitely gave me that itch to really uh, want to get out in the woods. Um, it's funny, too, you know, even just, 
talking to you, Daniel, right now, it's like, man, I haven't, I haven't deer hunted, but five days, I probably only spent 15 hours in a deer stand, 25 hours in a deer stand in the last decade. I grew up hunting with my dad. Um, then all of a sudden wrestling took over mixed martial arts took over. Um, wrestling season was basically October through March. Um, shoot, September through March. Um, every single year for, for high school and college. So deer hunting wasn't going to be in the cards for me. Um, but I will tell you this, when I retire from mixed martial arts, whenever that may be, um, I'm definitely going to start getting back in the woods, bow and gun hunting. Um, and yes, I do love Missouri. Daniel's talking about high Ridge, Missouri. That's where I'm from. High Ridge, Missouri. Um, I am proud of high Ridge, Missouri, Jefferson County, Missouri, where I came from Mike and Betty Chandler, uh, raising me and my two brothers there. So shout out to you, Daniel, and shout out to all my Missouri peeps who are listening. <clears throat> Peter. From Peter, do you typically feel fearful or worried about your fights? If so, what do you do to push past that fear? And what opponent has intimidated you intimidated you the most? Thank you for the series, Peter. <sighs> Great question. Do I feel fear or am I worried before my fights? I don't. I really don't. Because I think... Uh, and it's a very freeing thing. And I can tell you this, I used to, I used to be very fearful or I used to, I don't know if fear is the right word. I mean, it's definitely fear and, and it's okay to admit that we are fear, that we are fearful. You know, I think about the movie 300 and that very beginning scene where it's King Leonidas kind of roughing up his son and teaching him, you know, their sword fighting and teaching him. He said that fear is always a constant, but accepting it is what we have to do. It's not trying to shy away from or be or get rid of the fear. It's embracing it and realizing that it's part of life. It's part of human physiology. It's part of doing anything worthwhile whatsoever. So it's good if you have fears. It's good if you're doing something that scares you. Um, but as far as pushing past it, I think my lack of fear stems from my diligent prep preparation. I probably could have trained a little bit harder here and there. I'm sure could have done more reps, could have done more, could have done more days in the gym. I'm sure. But I can tell you this, there wasn't a man, there wasn't a man around me that was outworking me. So at some point you can do too much. I can honestly say that every single time that I've stepped inside of the cage, aside from one fight that I took that I should have said no to that I actually lost, um, where I had a really, really bad training camp because I had a really bad injury that I was just milking or not milking, I guess, nursing the entire time. And coaches told me to pull out of the fight. Wife told me to pull out of the fight. Manager told me to pull out of the fight. And I just didn't. Um, that was the only time that I didn't go into competition a hundred percent, um, healthy mentally and physically, but every single other time, I did everything I possibly could from day one till that bell rang and that fight started. I had no fear because I did everything that I possibly could. And I think it's a testament. It's a metaphor for life in your business. If you prepare, you're going to be successful or you're going to find some version of success. You're not going to be perfect, 
but you're going to be successful. You might walk into that board meeting and you're going to be, have a frog in your throat. You're going to have a lump in your throat. You're going to have a pit in your stomach. You have butterflies. But when it's time and it's go time, you're going to perform great if you put in the work, if you put in the preparation. As far as opponents intimidating me, I can honestly tell you this. I've almost had two careers now. Almost every single time I fought in Bellator, I was scared, scared to death because I had so much to lose and not a lot to gain. I think something inside me said that I was, should have been and was supposed to be fighting in the UFC for a very long time. You know, I'm fighting Dustin Poirier, top, top two, three guy in the world. There's nothing to lose. Fighting Dan Hooker, number five in the world. Fighting Charles Oliveira, number three in the world. Justin Gaethje, number two in the world. There's nothing to lose. You're not really, there's nothing really to lose there because you're fighting one of the best guys in the world. When I was fighting Bellator and I was fighting guys that, that weren't ranked inside the top 10, um, you got a lot to lose because I think at that point I still had a, I had a name where people saw me and they said, that guy is one of the top guys in the world. But then I would fight one of the guys in Bellator and it was somewhat of a, you know, if you win, you should have won. If, if you don't finish him in the first round, well, you should have finished him in the first round. If you go to a decision, well, goodness gracious, you went to a decision with that guy. And heaven forbid, if you lose, well, you lost to that guy. So um, these days, there's no intimidation at this point. I, I mean, when it comes to physical intimidation, I'm not, I'm not scared of any of these guys. I mean, and that's not to sound cocky. It's just, he's got two arms and two legs and he's my size. I've been doing this since I was 14 years old. There's nothing that scares me about any of these guys. It's more the the negative repercussions of the, possi of the possibility of having a bad performance that I'm more worried about. And it's, and it's, you know, the great thing is my God still loves me. My family still loves me and I still love me win, lose or draw. But it's, you know, my wife knows how hard I train and it's very, it's tough on her to see me lose because she knows, she knows the sacrifices that I make. It's the people that are closest to us that see it and to see how we live it. Um, but going back to, do you feel fearful or worried before your fights? I want to leave you guys with a little bit of tactical slash um, practical advice here. When you go into your greatest moment of opportunity, when you go into the competition, when you go into the opportunity that you have, the level of fear that you have will most likely be in direct correlation to the amount of preparation that you put in. I said something the other day, I think on this, on this podcast that we put on a video where I was talking about, you will never regret the hard work that you put in, even if you fall flat on your face. Even if you fail, even if you are laughed at and mocked and fingers pointed at you because you did a bad job, you're never going to regret the hard work that you put in. You're never going to regret your attention to detail that you had because it's never a waste. You might not have been successful that competition, that opportunity, but ultimately you're adding layers to your human. You're adding layers to your human being, which, and then in turn is adding more and more weight to, and more and more layers to the human being that you will eventually become. So thank you, Peter, for that question. Your fear is going to be in direct relation to your preparation. So that about does it for today. 
I thank you guys so much um, for sending in your questions. Um, I'm really enjoying this too. You know, we, at, at the very beginning, we kind of started with the Instagram thing. Hey, ask some questions on Instagram and they were just too short. Um, so this sending your questions into to podcast at michaelchandler.com really gives you guys an opportunity to ask a little bit longer questions, um, like Alexander did and a little bit longer questions like Michael did and Parker. And I really enjoy going deep with you guys and, um, shoot, I wish all you guys were sitting here in my, my studio with me because I would love to, I would love to connect with you guys personally. Um, but for now this will have to do until we start doing live events and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I appreciate you guys. I really do. And send in your questions to podcast at michaelchannel.com. And remember a couple of things that we said today, as we talked about me losing the fight, winning the mental battle, you're what you are and where you are because of what has gone into your mind and a man or a woman will never be able to consistently perform in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that they see themselves. So see yourself as a champion. You will start to live and perform and achieve as a champion. See yourself as more than, and you will continue to create for yourself more than you ever could think or imagine. Make sure you look up The Daily Stoic as well. I know I brought that up. I've been reading that. Did The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. Um, starting to study, study the Stoics a little bit more. See things for what they are, not for how you feel about them. God bless. See you at the top.